Here's Charlene Steinkamp. Today I want to share with you a message entitled, Don't Give Up. Now I want you to say that and I want you to say it loud. Don't give up. Oh, come on. You're the biggest service and you were the quietest. I want you to say it loud. Don't give up. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't give up. That's what we're talking about today. Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 28. I want to open. It's in your outline. Verse 28 says, therefore, say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. None of my words will be delayed any longer. Can I hear an amen in the house? None of my words will be delayed any longer. Whatever I say will be fulfilled, declares the Lord. Today, we're going to be talking about the promises of God. The words that God releases into our spirit. In a sense, it's like seed that's been planted. But before the fulfillment of it, before the harvest of it, there is this season. There are seasons that we go through waiting for that fulfillment. And the word today is in that season, don't give up. Father, I thank you for your word. It's anointed. And today as we open your anointed word, I pray, God, that you will speak to our hearts and our lives. I pray your anointed message will, will minister into us that which I say or maybe don't say. I pray, God, that there will be power that comes forth, anointing that comes forth. And I pray, God, that you will lead us, speak to us, guide us, minister to us. We receive that in the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. In research this week, I read about a story of a Methodist church, a Methodist church in uh, Swan Quarter, North Carolina. This Methodist church in the 1870s, it's a coastal land, a coastal area there in Hyde County, North Carolina. They desired to build a church. And as they would begin to look for property, they found an empty piece of land in the center of the city that they desired. It was higher land in this coastal area, perfect. But the owner of the land, Samuel Sadler, declined to sell to the church. He had other purposes that he wanted to do with the land. And so the church sought for other land and they had to buy land that was in a less than desirable part of the city because it was on lower land in that area. They began to build and just literally days before the dedication, a hurricane came blowing through and the waves and the, and the storms and the water began to flood this city in this small town and village. As it began to flood the city and the town there, the, the residents began to witness something that they call a miracle of God. This little church, Providence Methodist Church, being almost finished, a wooden structure, we have a picture of it here, a wooden structure behind the, 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 the brick church building was the original facility as the floodwaters began to come it broke loose of the the pilings and that which was holding up the church and this church facility began to float like a boat and began to go down the center of the street as it you can read about it true story as it began to go down the street those that watched were amazed it came to what would be like a t in the road it hits the corner building and it takes a right it continues to float down the street like a boat 
takes a little swerve to the left, a little swerve back to the right, and it lands on a piece of property that was a little bit higher in the city there. And then miraculously, the building just kind of swung around and sat down where the front door would face the entrance of the street. The piece of land that it landed on was the original piece of property that they wanted to buy. A few years later, a few days later, the owner, Samuel uh, Sadler, gave them that piece of property. They changed the name of their church to Providence Methodist Church. And from that day forward, this church has continued to worship the Lord, declaring that that was a miracle that day. Ezekiel said to us, this is what the sovereign Lord says, none of my words will be delayed any longer. Whatever I say will be fulfilled, declares the sovereign Lord. Can I hear an amen? amen. There's a statement that's often made. When God says it, I believe it, that settles it. If God said it, I believe it, that settles it. In fact, we could actually remove the middle part. If God says it, that settles it. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, God said it, that settles it. God said it, that settles it, if you believe it or not. Today I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about seasons. Seasons that we walk through in our lives. You see, God will speak a word like we see in the Methodist church here of Providence. We see that God speaks a word. And sometimes while we're waiting for the fulfillment of that word, there are seasons that we must walk through. They're not easy seasons. You see, God's timing is different than our timing. In fact, the Bible says that to God, one day is like a thousand years. You see, we get impatient. We pray. We're in a revival. We believe. We get a word. It's a revelation. We take hold of it. We get it in our spirit. And then in a day or two or a week or month, when it doesn't come to pass, we end up aborting the promise because we no longer are waiting the way God would desire us to wait. You see, when God says it and we believe it, it's a word from God. It glorifies him. We can hold on to that word. So it's regardless, regardless of what may happen, we can hold on knowing that in God's sovereignty, we can trust his timing. But the problem is, is that God doesn't always share with us how it's going to happen. He doesn't always share with us how long it's going to take before it happens. How many know what I'm talking about? We get a word, but he doesn't give us all the details. In fact, I'm convinced God doesn't give us all the details because we couldn't handle all the details. If you knew everything you were going to have to go through before the promise came to pass, some of you would quit before you even start. If you knew how long it was going to take before it happened, some of you wouldn't even start the journey. You can't handle all all of the details and yet we get frustrated we ask God how long when when is this going to happen and what God promises to you and I is if that we wait in him he will renew our strength he'll build our confidence he'll build us up and we can hold on in the faith that he wants us to hold into you know I'm thinking about the life of Moses Moses received a promise but before the fulfillment of the promise, Moses was in the desert for 40 years waiting to deliver the people of God. He had gotten the promise. In fact, I can imagine in those years, he started to raise a family, got married, started raising his children. He was with, with, he was with his in-laws. And, and I can imagine in those 40 years, there were some days that he began to wonder, 
Is God going to ever fulfill that promise? He probably thought he had ruined it. He tried to do it in his own strength, in his own way, and he, he has to run into exile, into the desert. Maybe he had even abandoned the promise. And in one day, and this is how God works, you just keep doing what God's called you to do. You don't give up. You keep holding, you keep believing, you keep doing what God desires, and then one day, suddenly, God does it in your life. Here Moses is, he's out tending the sheep and the flock, and, and, and he comes walking along, and there is a bush on fire, and it's burning. But it's not burning up. It's on fire. It's, it's there, but it's going against all natural logic and reason and everything. It's not burning up, and God starts talking to him from the bush, and all of a sudden, that which God promised is about to happen in his life. You see, for some of you today, you've been holding on. You've been believing. You've been desiring. God's given you a word. There's some of you today, God just dropped in my spirit. I haven't said this in any other service, but you've been holding on for your children. You've been praying. You've been believing. God is going to do a work. They were raised in a family that loved God, served God. They had an example. They've gotten themselves in the situations that have taken them away from God. But I'm here to declare today that God is going to do a work in their life. God is going to continue to reveal himself to them but you keep holding on you don't give up I think about Joseph Joseph here he was the youngest of all of the brothers how many here are the youngest in the family raise your hand Woo! give me a shout all of you that are young young in the family now Candy and I are the oldest in our family we're both first children how many are the oldest in the family oh boy we got a dominant crowd here today you know, the oldest, they, they, you know, anyway, you know, the youngest in the family sometimes get picked on. Am I right? Sometimes they get picked on. Sometimes they get, you know, uh, pressured to do things that maybe they don't really want to do, whatever it may be. Well, Joseph, a little cocky maybe, but he had a dream, a vision. He got an impression from God. And that's usually what God will do is he'll, he'll come to you. And it'll be like a picture in your mind. The Bible calls it a vision, but it's really a picture. It's like God gives you this picture and you can't let it go. I mean, there's been so many times in Kenny and I's life and ministry where God would give us a picture and I couldn't shake it. I mean... I couldn't release it in times of prayer. It would come back, and, and it was almost like a movie that was playing in my mind. Several times I would say to Candy, this is going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I can't shake it. And it's not for my own selfish ambition or, or pride or conceit. It's for the glory of God that I would know it was for God because it was something that would advance his kingdom. That's how God speaks. And Joseph had this, this vision, and, and uh, he shares it with his brothers. Maybe that was his mistake. And so being the youngest, sharing it with his older brothers that one day you're going to work for me one day you're going to be my employee that's like Christopher wave it everybody Chris is my middle son that would be like Andrew saying to Christopher one day you're going to be working for me in my company you can see him shaking his head he's saying it's not going to happen well that's what happened with Joseph and his brothers they said uh-uh-uh this ain't going to happen. And so they sell him, and, and uh, you know the story. Do you know Joseph, for 13 years, 14 years, finds himself imprisoned, waiting for the day that that promise is going to come to pass. Some of you right now, you feel like you're in prison. You feel like there's nowhere I can go. I can't get out. You may not even understand why you feel like you're in prison. I'm here to declare today, God's going to open some prison doors in your life. Can I hear an amen? 
God's going to do it. He's going at the due season, in the due time, at the right moment. God's going to open those doors. I think about Paul. Paul, book of Acts, we're studying about him. Paul gets saved on the road to Damascus. He's called Saul then. On the road to Damascus, he has an encounter with God. And I've got to tell you, every single one of us need an encounter with God. It doesn't matter if mama loved God or papa loved God until you love God and you give your life to Christ. You can't ride in on their coattail. Can I hear an amen? You've got to make a decision for Christ. And Paul, on the road to Damascus, has this encounter with God that changes and transforms his life. He goes on into Damascus. Ananias lays his hands on him. Acts chapter 9 is the story. He starts praying for him. And as he's praying for him, there's a prophetic word that comes over Paul that one day he's going to be preaching before the kings and that God's going to use him in a mighty way. And Paul immediately, the scripture says, Acts 9, starts preaching. People are getting saved. The Jews are plotting to kill him. And as they're plotting to kill him, the, 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 there, there were some that took Paul to the wall and helped him to escape. And he goes on to Jerusalem. Now, he's going to join the apostles, the rest of the disciples. He's given his life to Christ. And as he's on his way there to join them, he comes to the apostles in Jerusalem. And they don't believe that he's really been converted. You see, he was persecuting the church just a few weeks before that. They don't believe. And so what they do is they send him back home, which is to Tarsus. Tarsus is in the desert. So in a sense, Paul, a very highly religious, highly educated, educated by one of the highest philosophers of the day, is sent out to Tarsus because they don't believe he's truly been changed and transformed. And for 13 years, he waits in Tarsus. It was a desert school of theology for him. It was a time where God was reshaping, remolding, helping him to see God in a way that he had never seen before. Thirteen years later, a revival's taken place, and Barnabas decides, I'm going to go get Saul, Paul, and bring him back because we need to start making disciples of these that are getting saved and get them uh, uh, in their walk and their journey with the Lord. You see, Paul waited 13 years. So those moments... These seasons, these times where, where we're waiting for God to bring forth that which he has spoken in our lives are critical. If you hear anything today, I want you to hear that that season of waiting is critical. Because if you're not careful, the promise, the vision, the word can become aborted. You can, you can lose that which God has for you. When I look at the scripture, you've got it in your outline Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, it says this. It says, but they that wait, say wait. wait. Those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. That word wait literally means they put their hope in God. They trust God. They wait on God. And as they do, it says they shall mount up with wings like eagles. What I love about that is an eagle will fly above the storms. It doesn't get caught in the storm. An eagle is able to fly above the storm. So when you wait in God, you put your trust in God, you know what happens is you begin to soar. Even though there's storms happening all around you, you're, you're soaring over those storms. It says those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
You see, God's saying to you today that if you will wait on him, trust him, depend on him, he will renew your strength. That word wait has got a Hebrew picture to it. The Hebrew picture is like that of making a rope. Every thread that comes together makes the rope. More thread, the stronger the rope. Now, some of you are, are here today, and you may feel like you're on your last thread. You may feel like everything has fallen apart, and you don't even know what you're going to do because everything. I talked to someone, I think it was yesterday, and said, Pastor, I'm trusting, I'm waiting, but the reality is my house is in foreclosure. We're, 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 we're going for I don't know what's going to happen. Just yesterday, someone spoke that to me. They were at their last thread. But what this scripture says, if you will keep trusting God, if you keep depending on God, if like we sang today, you'll keep worshiping God, you'll keep declaring the promises of God, the more you do that, it's like you're adding thread to your rope. And that last thread that you feel like you're on is turning into a rope. The more you worship, the stronger the rope gets. The more you declare his promises, the stronger the rope gets in your, in your life, in your heart. That's why the word says, those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Now, you may be saying to me, Pastor, that, that's simple. It might be simple, but it's hard to do. You see, when you're walking through storms and difficulties, we get all worried. We get all uptight. We want to try to fix it. How many are fixers in the house today, yeah? You know, a lot of guys are raising their hands. You know, we want to fix it. And when we can't fix it, we get discouraged. We get frustrated. But what the Bible says is how you wait is critical to the promise coming to pass. And if you'll wait in God, you'll trust God, you'll worship God, you'll continue to declare his promises, you'll hold on to the promise and you'll declare it over your life, over your children, over your job, over your marriage. Don't let go of the promise. Just keep declaring it. And as you do, God is adding thread to your rope. Oh, it might be the last thread right now, but the more you worship, you add another thread. You come back tonight, you're adding another thread. You come this week to Life Group, you're adding another thread. You're adding it, you're adding it, you're adding it. Before you know it, you're not holding on to a thread anymore, you're holding on to a rope. And as you hold that rope, that rope is God. He won't let you go because you're not letting him go. Can I hear an amen in the house? The seasons of waiting... Seasons of waiting are crucial because they draw you closer to God. The more you wait, the closer you get to the Lord. Now, in these seasons of waiting, we have lots of questions. In these seasons of waiting, we're wondering, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening to me? In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12, we see the early church was in a season of waiting. I want to refer to it at this time. Look with me, 12, chapter 12, verse 1. It says it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death by the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, it made him happen, happy, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unliving Bread. After arresting him, he put Peter in prison handing him over to the guards, and Herod intended to bring him out in public for a trial after Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But, oh yeah, here we go. But somebody was praying. Somebody was holding on. 
Even maybe when Peter couldn't hold on anymore himself, somebody else was holding on for him. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now what I love about this is the church is believing. They're praying. They're asking God to do something. And, and in our trials, sometimes we have all kinds of questions. Sometimes we have the question, is God listening does God really hear? Does he really know? Does he really, uh, is he really concerned with what I'm walking through? In fact, there are some philosophies in the world today that would say that God created this universe. He created life, and he just kind of let it go, and it's out there all by itself, and he's uninvolved. But what I want you to know today is God's not unaware God's not uninvolved. God knows every detail. He's, in, you know, he's, he's intimately desiring to be a part of every area of our lives. In fact, he says that he knows every hair on our head. He knows every detail about our lives. If he knows the number of hairs on your head, he knows the details that are walking, that you're walking through in your life. Now, some of you are <laughs> looking out there. Uh, that's not too hard to count the number of hairs on your head. <laughs> But God knows what you're going through. He knows every situation. He's not unconcerned. He's not uninvolved. You know what he's wanting? Is he's wanting us to trust. He's wanting us to depend. He's wanting us to go to him. And as we do, it enables him to get involved in our lives. He cares. He desires. He wants us to turn to him. But these seasons of waiting are crucial in that we wait with expectation. We wait with a determination that, God, you are going to move. I love the prayer of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, enemies are on all sides. He doesn't know what to do. And he cries out, three different armies coming from three different directions. And Jehoshaphat says, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Today, I want to encourage you that no matter what you're walking through, God cares. He's concerned. And if you'll cry out like, like, like Jehoshaphat, if you'll see like the psalmist that God wants to be involved in the areas of your life and you don't give up, what you do is you're calling God down into your situation and you're bringing him down right into the midst of what you're walking through. And like Peter, the church was praying and God's about to do a miracle. And when God does a miracle, it brings a testimony for everybody of what he's done in your life. Seasons of waiting, but it requires faith. Our faith brings the miracle in our life. And faith is like a muscle. You've got to work it. You've got to exercise it. You've got to grow your faith. You grow it through the word. You grow it through walking uh, through different trials and circumstances. Your faith grows. When you work on your faith and grow your faith, it's the ground for miracles to be released in your life. Now look at the story here. Let's continue on and see what's taking place. Here we see in verse 6, you know, Peter's in jail. The church is praying. The night before Harold was going to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. He was bound with chains. And there stood an angel. And suddenly, oh, I love it when God suddenly does it. Amen. You just keep doing what you always have done. You keep believing. You keep worshiping. You keep serving. You keep growing. You don't give up. You just keep doing what God's called you to do. And it says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared. Now, I believe 
It was a word in our revival, and I believe it today. And if this is true for you, I want a big amen in just a moment that for some of you, God is about to suddenly do something in your life. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Something is about to happen, and it said, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. I love this. He smacks Peter. He strikes Peter on the side, and he says, wake up. (laughs) Get up, boy, and follow me. Peter thinks he's in a dream. He starts following the angel. The chains fall off. They start walking. The doors open up. He finds himself out in the middle of the road as you're reading Acts there. And you see that all of a sudden the angel disappears. And Peter realizes that what, he, what, what he's experiencing here isn't a dream. But this is the power of God and an angel. And so it dawns on him what happens. Verse 12. And so he goes to Mary's house. Mary is John Mark's mother, and there they gather together, and, and, and as the many people are there praying, Peter comes and he knocks on the door. And as he's knocking on the door, a servant girl by the name of Rhoda comes to answer the door. She recognizes Peter's voice. When she recognizes it's his voice, she's overjoyed, it says, and she runs back to the group that's inside praying for Peter to be released, and she says, Peter's at the door. Oh, you're not appreciating the story. (laughs) Picture what's happening. Put yourself in the story. Act like you're Rhoda right now, okay? Picture with me. You're Rhoda. You're a servant girl, maybe 13, 14 years old. You come because she's not a woman. She's called a girl, so she's not come into that age. So she's no more than 13 years old. And she, she comes. She hears Peter. She is excited. I mean, she hears you inside. You hear them inside praying. And all of a sudden, there's Peter. You go running back, and as you go running back, Peter's at the door. Peter's at the door. Your prayers are answered. Peter's at the door. That's not what they did. They didn't clap. They said, you're insane. They said, you're crazy. Now, they're praying for Peter to be released, and they're saying to her, you're crazy. You're out of your mind, it says. She kept insisting that it was And then uh, they said, no, it's his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. So I see Peter outside knocking and knocking. I see Rhoda grabbing somebody inside. John, Mark, the mama, you've got to come. Peter's at the door and she's pulling him to the door. They come to the door and look there. Right at the end, verse 16, Peter keeps knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw Peter and they said, holy guacamole, it's Peter. They were astonished. You know what this tells me? Is sometimes God gives a word and we're praying and we're believing and we're perceiving that it's going to happen in a different, in, in, in a certain way. And then when God does it in a different way, it completely astounds us and surprises us. Can I hear an amen? For some of you, release it unto the Spirit of God that God is going to do it in your life. Believe. Keep worshiping. Don't give up. Keep pressing on. Keep believing in your season of waiting that God will release it in your life. Can I hear an amen? amen. Wait patiently. Wait expectantly. Don't get a, a, a uptight and frustrated in that season. Just keep worshiping. Keep believing. And settle in your heart a couple things. First of all, that God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, because he's sovereign, he sees more than I can see. 
He understands more than I can understand. And if it doesn't come to pass the way I'm praying and I'm believing and I'm desiring, it's because God has a different plan. And I can take encouragement in that. So in my seasons of waiting, what God is wanting to do is deepen my insight to what I really need. He wants me to understand his will entirely. We've got several in our church family that this last year have been looking for a house. They've been praying for a house, several even on our, our staff. And, and in the market right now down here, it's very difficult, many of you know, to, to buy a house. Foreign investors are coming in and they're buying it just right up and like that. And, and they would almost have it and then boom, it was gone. Someone would come in and, and buy it and, and, and they would get uptight and oh, we, want, we got it, we don't know. You know, God's gonna do it, we know that, but it's not happening. And in every single case, when they finally got a house, it was better than any other houses that they had put bids on. It was a better house for them. It was a better location for them. It was better for their family. You see, when God says it, you can believe it because it's going to happen. Amen? God says it. I believe it. That settles it. Turn to your neighbor and say, that settles it. Because God has said it. It deepens our insight of what God really wants us to have. Secondly, in a season of waiting, what God is wanting to do is broaden our appreciation for the answer. You see, if Ken and Tiffany over here, our missionaries, knew five years ago, five years ago in Vienna, Austria, almost six now, Ken told me in Vienna, he told me, I'm called to missions. At that time, they didn't know where they were going to go. They were pastoring up in Mulberry, Florida. And uh, they didn't know when. They didn't know how. They didn't understand how God was going to do it or where he was going to send them. But if six years ago, if Ken would have known that on August the 19th of 2013, they would be getting on a plane and going to, to, to India, I can guarantee that they wouldn't have worked as hard to raise their money. I can guarantee their faith wouldn't have stretched as far as it has stretched. I guarantee the vision that they've, done, got, they've gotten from God wouldn't be as clear as to what God wants to do for their, for their life. Why? Because they wouldn't be trusting God in the full way that God wants us to trust him if we get it whenever we want it. So what God's doing is he's helping us to, to, to appreciate when his answers come. And then finally, in seasons of waiting... God is maturing us. He's growing us in that season. The second thing that happens in seasons, seasons in our life when we're waiting for this promise to come, there's a season of waiting that we may go through, but also there are seasons of opposition. Opposition where the enemy comes and he tries to steal the seed, the promise that's been promised over your life. He tries to steal it. He tries to get you to abort the promise. Seasons of opposition. What God's doing in those seasons as well is strengthening your faith. When you look at Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14, in Acts 13, you've got Paul and Barnabas going on the very first missionary journey. As they start out on their first missionary journey, they're going from Antioch and they're going to the island of Cyprus. Cyprus is the biggest island in the Mediterranean Sea. Now, it's off the path. In fact, after the first missionary journey, Paul didn't take missionary trips the way he did the first journey. The first journey, they, they went to smaller villages, different places. But in the second journey and the third journey, they only went to major cities. 
Some people say, well, why did he go to Cyprus? It was out of the route. Well, it's probably because Barnabas, who was his partner, comes from Cyprus. And Barnabas probably wanted to take the gospel message back to his island. And so they go back to Cyprus. But as soon as they land on the island of Cyprus, a sorcerer begins to come against them. A sorcerer begins to try to turn the government against Paul and Barnabas. And they get arrested. And they too now are going to be on trial. Now, when you begin to read all of Acts chapter 13 and you see the opposition that they're going through, Paul's got a promise. He's going to stand before kings. He's going to proclaim the gospel all over, all over Europe. But at this point, he's standing before the high councils and he's on trial for his life. He's in a season, and that season is a season of opposition. And what I can guarantee you today, if you are a believer, you've given your life to Christ, I can guarantee that you're going to walk through seasons of opposition. You can expect it. Expect opposition. Why? Because the enemy is out to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to kill your faith. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to destroy everything that God is building in you. He wants to destroy it. I mean, he's going to send temptation your way. He's going to send people your way. He's going to send past lovers your way. He's going to do all kinds of things to try to get you off of the path so that he can destroy God's work in your life. But let me tell you today, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Yes, opposition is going to come, but if you'll keep worshiping, if you'll keep waiting, if you'll keep trusting, if you'll keep pressing, if you'll keep giving your life to Christ in all areas and surrendering your life, God will keep building you. He'll keep holding you. He'll keep enabling you to be all that God has called you to be. Can I hear a, a, a hallelujah in the house today? opposition will come. That's why Peter said, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange was happening to you. Don't be surprised by that. Why? Because you're a believer coming out of revival. I can guarantee you the enemy's been trying to steal words that have been spoken over your life. I had a woman last night walk up and said, pastor, here I was Every single night in revival, five nights, Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, five nights I was in revival. And then she said, on Thursday morning, I pull into a store. I had to run in real quick. I left my purse in the car, locked the car, ran in, and came back minutes later. And she said, the window was busted out. Somebody had stolen the purse already and had already taken off. And she said, right there, the Lord said to me, you have a choice. Are you going to praise me no matter what you're going through? Or are you going to let this get you all uptight and steal the joy that you have from this revival? What I'm telling you is the enemy is going to come against you. And the difference is your, your attitude in the midst of whatever you walk through. So expect opposition. John Mark was on that missions journey. And if you read the bottom part of Acts 13, you see that John Mark, uh, he quits the team. He, he leaves the team. He doesn't continue on the journey. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to why John Mark left. One of the, the speculations is probably the, the, the more um, cushiony example is that he got sick, and because he was so sick, he left the team. 
That's what some theologians think. Some theologians think, well, he really didn't get sick. He just wasn't strong enough for the journey. It was a tough journey. Uh, he came from a very, very wealthy family, and now he's living in some very, very difficult circumstances. He's never experienced that before, and he wants to go home to mama. He just can't handle it anymore. And so he deserts the team. Paul was so upset. Paul felt like he deserted, that Paul didn't want him to join the team any longer. Acts 15, he's trying to get back on the team, and Paul says, no, 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 no. When we're in the heat of the battle, I need someone that's going to fight with me. I don't need someone that's going to stand with me, and he left me once before. I'm not taking him again. Well, his uncle, Barnabas, wanted him to go. Barnabas wanted him on the team, and so Barnabas says, no, 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 we, you know, we got we to gotta bring him. And Paul and Barnabas have their little dispute, and, and, uh, and, and, and in that, two missionary teams start. And so you've got Barnabas that takes John Mark, and Paul continues on with his team, and the gospel keeps going forward and, and all of that. But the point was that in the midst of opposition, John Mark leaves the team. But Paul shows us that no matter what opposition we face, we shouldn't quit. We shouldn't give up. We should keep pressing on. When the sorcerer attacked him, he didn't give up. When John Mark attacked him, he didn't give up. No matter what he faced... He didn't give up. Turn to your neighbor one more time and say, neighbor, don't give up. No matter what comes, don't give up. When you go to Acts chapter 14, you see one of the big miracles, the greatest miracles recorded in Paul's life. It's the healing of the lame man. And right after the healing of the lame man, all of a sudden the crowds, the city, they come out to start worshiping Paul and Barnabas. There's a lot of history there that I don't have time to talk about. But they had worshiped gods of the past that brought healings to their villages. And now Paul and Barnabas are there and this miracle, great miracle happens. And so all the villagers come and they start to worship Paul and Barnabas. Well, Paul and Barnabas had watched what happened with, uh, with Harold as Harold received in Acts chapter 13 the worship of the people. He was eaten away by, by worms and everything. And so Paul and Barnabas were like, no, don't worship me. Worship God. It's not us. It's God. Because they had watched Harold get eaten by worms in, in Acts 13. And so they're saying, no, not us. And all of a sudden, Things turn. And one moment they're worshiping Paul and Barnabas. The next moment they're stoning them out in the courtyard. And they're, they're putting them to death. I mean, it turned just like that. And what it tells us is after great victories, there's going to be attacks. After great accomplishments spiritually, the enemy's going to come. Revivals, whatever it is spiritually in your life. Once you get spiritual highs... The enemy's going to come. I mean, when young people go off to camp, anytime they come back to camp, from camp, the enemy is right there to attack them. When I was a, a young adult, I really began understanding this more and more. Spiritual highs, worship services. Maybe you start serving God like you've never served him before. Maybe you're given everything. Great sacrifice. And right in those moments, all of a sudden, a spiritual attack like you've never had before comes on you. And the reason is, is because in those spiritual highs, we're very susceptible to the attack of the enemy. And he's right there to attack us. But Paul shows us that if we will stay full of the Holy Ghost, we'll stay filled with the Spirit of God, that no matter what the enemy throws at us, we can defeat him. Can I hear an amen? amen. I finish with this verse, Galatians Chapter 6 in verse 9. 
It says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If we don't give up, there's a harvest that's coming. Oh, you may be in a season of waiting. You may be even in a season of opposition. But if you don't get weary and don't give up, God promises, if it's a word from him, the harvest is coming. Can I hear an amen? amen? Stand with me all across this auditorium. You've been listening to Charlene Steinkamp. You can write the Steinkamps at P.O. Box 10548, Papano Beach, Florida, 33061. The Steinkamps also invite you to visit their website at rejoiceministries.org.